Good morning, everyone. I am so glad to hear all of this conversation going on. So for those of you that do not know me, my name is Wayne. I am a member here at King's Cross Church. And uh, your pastor has allowed me the opportunity to preach. If it doesn't go well, you know who to blame, not me, it's him. Uh, but uh, today I'm going to be talking about a better hope. And so if you will take your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, you can take your phone, use one of the Bible apps, and look up Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. You know, when we read the Christmas story, our focus is usually primarily on Jesus' birth. And we sort of look at the New Testament, basically uh, Matthew and Luke, those passages that talks about Jesus coming into the world. We marvel at the faith and the obedience of both Mary and Joseph as they are being told that Jesus is going to be born. And then they have the joy of experiencing his arrival nine months later. Yet, this is what's important that I want to make note of. We need to remember that those promises in the New Testament were not the first made to Jesus' parents. A promise of Jesus' birth was initially made 700 years earlier in the passage of Isaiah that we're going to read today, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. So our tradition is to stand in respect as we read God's word. So if you will stand with me as we open God's word and we read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. And I hope that I do as well as those young kids did this morning. But if not, they read part of the scripture, so you've already gotten it. Um, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt in the land of Zebulun and the land of Neptili. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as the joy of the, at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Yet the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor have been broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle turmoil and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that you reveal to us what it is that you want us to hear, what it is you want us to act on. Lord, what it is that will draw us closer to you during this time of Advent. Father, reveal to us a part of who you are so that we can better understand you and better love you and better serve you. Father, speak to us today. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Advent means arrival or the coming. That's what Advent actually means. As we start this Advent season, we are reminded that there was an arrival that has already taken place. So Isaiah is sharing here in this passage that a a child will be born. So he is speaking 700 years into the future. He is foretelling a coming that's going to take place. But as we are here today, standing here today, we look back and we see this foretelling of Jesus' coming birth. And so that is an expected thing that Isaiah was talking about. For us, it's in our rearview mirror. But then we're also looking forward, and Isaiah is going to project into the future all the way into the time for which Christ returns. So here we are at this apex in the scripture. First, Isaiah is talking about a child that will be born. For those of you that know a little bit about Christianity, you know we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the nativity scene. And so he's coming onto the scene, but that was 700 years after Isaiah wrote this passage. And then Isaiah is going to look all the way into the future. And so we're going to unpack what Isaiah is sharing here. And we are going to see what he is trying to share with us. But the main theme today is hope. I found this verse in Job 8.13. Now, this is out of the Living Bible. So if you're looking in your ESV translation, you're not going to find it quite saying this. But this is how it is written. Those who forgot God have no hope. So... I think this is evident in every part of society. You can see it. The people that are farther and move farther back and away from God, they have less hope. But the reverse is true. Those who are closer to and draw closer to God, they have more hope. They have an abundance of hope. And so today, I know that this is true in my life. I've seen it. I I tend to wander from time to time and... uh, go off and feel like I can make things happen on my own with my own two hands. And so I will find myself wandering away and forgetting God and relying more upon myself. And then I wonder where the hope has gone. And then as I draw closer to God, then that hope is reunited within me. I I see proof of this verse in every part of society, but especially an idea came into my head as I was preparing the sermon. I remember that when I was a boy, I grew up in a family where the birth of Jesus was something that was taught and understood. Everyone in the family uh, was to be able to recite pieces of the birth of Jesus upon command. It was something that was embedded into our family. And however, there were many times that at Christmas time, I had my expectations and hope in other things. They happened to be under the tree. And um, those were the things that I was most hopeful for. And I was excited to see if my parents had listening ears that listened to me and that were going to provide me with the things that I was actually expecting to unwrap that day. I remember this this year. I, I don't know why. I think it's because, as the, the story reveals itself, what my mother said to me, but um, my aunt had gotten me a gift. I was about nine, maybe 10 years old, had just joined the Boy Scouts. 
And so I was opening up this gift, and she was a pretty generous giver, so I was expecting something spectacular. Um, so I opened it, I pulled back the wrapping paper, and it was a flashlight. A flashlight. And I think it was pretty clear to everyone in the room that I was less than overwhelmed. Um, that I was probably just plain disappointed because my mother grabbed me and took me into another room. And, and she gave me a pretty stern conversation. And she reminded me that now that I was in Scouts, that I was going to be going on camping trips and I needed a flashlight and I needed to go back in and tell my aunt how much I appreciated it. So I remember walking back into the room thinking of all the things I need for scout camping trips, you know, like a cool pocket knife and a flint starting kit that would start a fire that I could try around the house. Um, all of those things she couldn't think about, but she got me a flashlight. And so after a very poor attempt of appreciating my aunt's gift of a flashlight, uh, we move forward. Now, that story is sort of like a microcosm of stories that take place throughout all times, and probably even in your life. The characters may change, the items that we anticipate may change, but the outcome is quite often the same, disappointment. You know, we thought that that person was going to be the one. We thought that having this family was going to make it right. We thought that when I got to this place in my career, it was going to be great. And yet, there was disappointment when we actually opened it up and it was all revealed, once we actually saw the whole thing. So, in, so I got to thinking that a lot of people that don't have faith in, like, a God, they often put their faith into or their hope into some kind of an organization that can really do a lot of good, like like the U.S. government or like the president. You know, they have the power, they have the resources that they can make something happen. Some people put it into the United Nations. That's actually on our soil. I think most of you know that. They have a building there and inscribed on a big wall as you walk up to the building is a verse from Isaiah, chapter 2, verse 4. And it says this, They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks, Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. This is inscribed upon the wall. Now, the United Nations' stated purpose is to maintain international peace and security. Now, this is a wonderful goal, absolutely a wonderful goal. And, uh, but it's, let's, let's be a little frank, um, they've sort of failed miserably since they've been founded 75 years ago. There's not been one year of world peace. And so it's, it's a lofty goal, but not being able to achieve. Now, I don't, I don't want to give them a break because it's a stated goal, not one that is easily pulled off. I think we could all say that. Not a president, not a king, not anyone with major resources has been able to pull off peace across the earth. But here in Isaiah 7... Verse 7, in Isaiah 9, verse 7, we see that Isaiah, pro, he, he prophesizes that one day world peace will happen. At, he talks about that peace will be forever. So 
how can we hope now, now today, here at this apex of Christ has been born, the future out there of Christ's return, but I'm living here today, right now. So I hear God sort of saying to us today, now hope. Now's the time to hope. So I was, in my reading, I was listening to some pastors, and one of the pastors said this, when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. And that sort of struck a nerve in me. I'm going to read that again. When you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Here's what I want you to do for me. Nudge the person next to you and say, God's up to something in your life right now. God's up to something in your life. He was up to something in the nation of Israel as Isaiah provided a sobering accounts of Israel's sin and rebellion and warnings all through his book and their, over, and their future coming judgment. Even in the darkest of times, God was up to something, and we see that here in this chapter 9. So I want to remind us, in this passage today, in verse 1, we read the gloom of her who was in anguish. In verse 2, people walking in darkness and those dwelling in deep darkness. Maybe that flashlight wasn't a bad idea. Verse 4, the yoke of burden and the rod of the oppressor. In verse 5, we read that the boots of trampling in battle and the garments rolled in blood. Now, this is some pretty dark stuff. These are some difficult things to sort of wrap our head around. But I think you notice something. I sort of only read part of the verse, right? So actually in verse 1, it says there's a no in front of gloom. No gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. No gloom. Hope. For people walking in darkness, there is a light. And for those dwelling in deep darkness, there is a light that shines. Now, I had to look up that word that shines because it's sort of differentiated between the two. And in Hebrew, that word shines is naga. Can you say naga? Naga. Great. And so naga means glitter, flashing, illuminating, Shining, a casting of light that can move all the way back to the beginning of time and move all the way forward to when Jesus returns. Who is that light of the world? Thank you, Jesus. She read my notes. <laughs> so here we are. Those that are in darkness, they have a light, they have hope. The broken, the yoke of a burden and the rod of the oppressor that is to be what? It's to be broken. There's hope. The trampling of boots, the battle of garments rolled in blood, they will be burned up, vanish, disappear. There's hope. All these dark things have an outcome in which cast the light of hope. So I'm beginning to see that God is up to something here. Even in times of anguish, darkness, oppression, and battle, God is turning these difficult times into hope. Now is the time for hope. God says, now hope. Now is when we need hope. When I am being tossed back and forth in my life, when I am getting put off course, when I'm being in jeopardy of being torn apart, 
Now, that is the time for hope. R.C. Sproul, he's a pastor and an author. He has this quote. I like it. Hope is called the anchor of the soul. That's found in Hebrews 6.19. For those of you that have been studying Hebrews with us, we just studied that a couple of weeks ago. Hope is, the call, is called the anchor of the soul because it gives stability to the Christian life. But hope is not simply a wish. I wish that such and such would take place. Rather, it is that which latches on to the certainty of the promise of the future that God has made. It's something you can hold on to with certainty. So what is that promise of the future that God's made? I went to the Bible. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know for I know the plan that I have for you, says God, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That is what God is promising us. God says, I've come not to hurt you, but to allow you to grow and develop. I have a plan for you that has hope and a future. Like the pastor said that I shared when I was looking at some videos, when we are down to nothing, God is up to something. Now is the time for hope. So now hope. Some of you may be here today and you go, ah, that's a nice thought, but you don't know what I'm going through. And Jesus is saying, now hope. This is no better time to hope than right now. So we've looked at God's desire to have us hope. Now, discovering a hope that will not disappoint. Because a lot of us have put hope in things that have totally disappointed us. And uh, so where is this hope that will not disappoint? Today, as we look at something to hang our hope on, something that will not disappoint, I want to offer a quote that I heard just two weeks ago as I sat right where you're sitting today. I heard this quote and it read, and he said, hope is not a request or a wish, it is a person, the person Jesus Christ. Oh, that's the famous Obed. <laughs> Pastor, leader of a church. A hope that Britain would beat U.S. <laughs> Missed it by that much. But I will tell you this quote, man, it stuck with me. Hope is not a request. It's not a wish. It's a person. The person Jesus Christ. So let's look now at verse 6 here in Isaiah. And in a half a verse, Isaiah identifies Jesus as humanity, his deity, and his sovereignty. There's a lot packed into these three little phrases, and I want us to really look at each one closely. So first, for to us, a child is born. So this is Jesus's humanity. This is what we are celebrating during Advent. God coming into the world as a baby, that is the Christmas story. That is Bethlehem. That's Nativity. As Christians, it seems like we have no problem defending the deity of Jesus. And, and rightly so. We should defend his deity. 
The Bible is filled with examples and testimonies of people who speak of Jesus' deity. His miracles resound his deity. His ability to know what is going to happen before it even happens announces his deity. What I find interesting, though, is Christians have a difficulty defending Jesus' absolute humanity. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No problem there. But then if you read down farther to the 14th verse, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It became human. Um, This means that God was in a womb. God had an umbilical cord. He was an embryo. This means that God became an infant. He was born, he became an infant. My wife and I have been spending a lot of time with our grandchildren lately. Our youngest is our only grandson, and he is just a few months old. He can't hold his head up by himself. He he can't really do anything except bowel movements. Um, that's about all he can do on his own venition and scream. Yes, and scream, which is the mystery to us. We've got to figure out what it is that he is trying to share with us. Uh, is he hungry? Uh, does he need changing? Uh, does he need to be positioned? Is he tired? What's going on? And so we go through the list of things that we're hoping, and he still screams. And usually what we figured out is he wants us to hold him and walk around, which for grandparents, that's not something we're used to, uh, just, you know, holding this heavy football and walking around for hours on end. But Jesus was an infant. There was a time when God became an infant and he was in this very delicate stage You'd think, oh, if he was God, why didn't he say, hey, can you give me a nap? I'd like a bottle right about now. That's what some of us think about this God, that he could do anything at any time. He became human. He was an infant. From infancy, he learned how to walk. And there were many times that he attempted and he fell. But then he went on to become a teenager. So you remember this story where Jesus' family, they went to worship at the temple, and then they were packing up to go home, right? And so his, their family didn't see Jesus around the area, but they knew that he would be with somebody, so they packed up, they got ready, and they were all leaving, and they went out, and then they got to camp that night before they went on home. They still couldn't find Jesus. So they went through the campsite. They couldn't find him. Of course, he wasn't there. So what'd they do? They packed everything up and they went back to the city. And so a lot of you've probably heard this verse read. Now I'm going to read it and I'm going to embody my teenager. Okay, so in Luke 2, 4 through 9, 49, Luke 2, verse 49, it says, Jesus goes, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I'd be in my father's house? Typical teenager. Like, what's up? Well, why, didn't you know that this is where I'd be? Um, and then my favorite part here is, here's a typical parent of a teenager. 
but they did not understand what he was saying. <laughs> now, I don't know if you've ever read this verse quite like I just shared it with you, but Jesus was a teenager. You know, he was human. Jesus went on, he, he was hungry. I, I, I even like this verse in Mark, Jesus got hangry. You, you guys know what hangry is? It's when you get angry because you're hungry. And, and so he got hangry. And, and so Jesus was hungry and off in the distance, he saw a fig tree and he go, went to the fig tree and he looked up in the fig tree and guess what? Not one fig, absolutely. No figs there. So what did Jesus do in his godliness? Well, he goes, um, in Luke 2.49, while we're, oh, I'm sorry, in, I, I gave you the wrong verse. I'm in Mark 11, 12 through 14, shares that Jesus was hungry because of the fig tree. And it says, may no figs, may no one ever eat figs from you again. Now, I don't know that he hurt the tree's fillings, but he cursed the tree because he didn't have figs for that day. I've been there. I've been so hungry that I've been a little hangry. We're not looking for testimonies, honey. Thank you. Um, but, uh, but there have been those times in our life that we've been that way. So when scripture says that Jesus has been tempted in every way, that he walked this earth, that he was human, we got to understand that he was a human being. And then he died a painful death, especially for anyone that has an excruciating death that goes through many hours or months or days of pain. He died a very painful death. Jesus was born, Jesus's humanity, for, un, for a child is born. So the next phrase then says there in, chapter, in verse 6, to us a son is given. Now this speaks to Jesus' deity. So I want to notice the change here. So in the first phrase, it's a child is born, something that is to happen. Now a son is given. You can't give something unless it already is. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The same idea here. He gave something that he had to give. This sort of speaks to a pre-deity time that Jesus was before he was born. As God, he was there at the beginning. As God, he was there along the way, but he was born a baby, but now he is given as a son. And so there's a change in this dynamic of something that just happened versus something that has existed already. And so for those of you that have been going, have been coming to church for a while, we've been doing a study in the book of Hebrews and um, the study has been around Jesus is better, right? Does anyone remember what Jesus was better than? Anyone got an idea? You want to just speak out? Angels, Angels absolutely. Good. Someone said? The prophets, Moses, absolutely. They listen, Obed, man. You got to be one happy dude. 
And then we just recently learned that he is better than the priest, the high priest, right? He is the better high priest. So what we are learning about God and his deity too is I want to share a new idea. He is a better hope. Jesus is a better hope. It says here in verse verse 6, now here in Isaiah, he is a better hope. He is a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. You want to place your hope in something solid? You want to not be disappointed? Then you place it on Jesus. Just last Sunday, uh, we sang a song, and I talked to Josh just to make sure that we did do it last Sunday. And um, the, the song is... Um, sorry, I just lost my place for a second. Um, an old hymn by Robert Chitney called uh, The Hope is Built on Nothing Less. And there's a line in it that goes like this. My, there, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We have looked at Jesus' humanity, his deity, and if you're looking for something to hang your hope on, I say, lean on Jesus. Now let's look at what Isaiah talks about Jesus' sovereignty. In verse 6, then it goes on to say, the government should be upon his shoulder. I had to do some studying here. I guess I could have called Obed and asked maybe what a monarchy has this whole idea around um, the government upon a shoulder. But I did some studying and understood that um, the whole government on the shoulder sort of meant, came from the original idea that a monarch was there to serve their subjects. A lot of kings, a lot of monarchs have switch that up. A lot of rulers have switched that up and think people are there to serve them. But originally, the idea was the monarch, the ruler, the king was there to serve his subjects, to care for them. And in order for that responsibility to be understood, what they would do is they'd put a robe on the king and that would represent the responsibility, the burden in which they were supposed to carry a robe. For those of you that can't quite picture that and you're more DC fans, it's sort of like Batman and Robin. They had a cape. But again, there was a responsibility there to serve others, not to be served themselves. And so that's what we're talking here. The government should be upon his shoulders. That means Jesus carries the burden for us. He's there to help us in our time of need. So here in these verses of Isaiah, we're being allowed to see beyond the birth of Jesus, past the death of Jesus, and all the way to Christ's return and the kingdom of Jesus being established. Isaiah prophesizes in this verse that Jesus came to earth, lived on earth, and is coming back to rule as wonderful counselor, mighty God, a father, and the prince of peace. This is the hope that will not disappoint. So in this half a verse, we can find hope that does not disappoint in Jesus, 
who experienced living in a hopeless world and suffered as we have, who has the power to help us overcome whatever disappointments we face, and who bears our burdens so that we don't have to bear them alone. And Romans 5 illustrates this pretty clearly. Romans 5, verses 2 through 5. It's on the screen. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Okay, don't get stuck right there, okay? Let's take this and read it one more time, but let's read past that whole idea of rejoicing in our suffering. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so... But we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that the suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Whatever this Advent season holds for you, it is important that remember The times in our lives that we seem to enjoy the most are not necessarily the most fruitful in our life. And the seasons of our lives that we get the most out of are not necessarily the ones we'd ever choose to go through. This whole idea of suffering and rejoicing for suffering, you may feel like Jesus has let you down because you are suffering today, but hold on to the hope The story is not finished yet. He has a plan for what you are experiencing today. Paul says this in this verse. No, no, no. Hope, real hope, true hope, that is supplied by God himself. It does not disappoint. On that day, that day, there will be no regrets, no no wishing that was never coming true. No longing that would never happen. It would overflow with satisfaction. There will come that day that you can put your hope in that things will satisfy. No more tears, no more pain, and no more suffering. Hope is not a request, not a wish. It is a person. It's Jesus. We just looked at his humanity. We looked at his deity. We looked at his sovereignty. Jesus will not disappoint. So, how do we keep this hope alive during Advent? In in terms of where do we go from here, I have two categories. One, I want to talk to the Christians in the room, and the other one, I want to talk to those that are not sure if they are Christian or not. First, for the Christians. I would like for you to consider a charge I'm going to put forth to you right now. In light of God, of, in light of the God of hope, in light of this season that we find ourselves in, here is my encouragement that you will increase over the next 30 days. <clears throat> Sorry, I pushed the wrong button on the screen and it started acting up. <clears throat> um, here is my encouragement that you would increase over the next 30 days or so the regularity of the time that you spend in Scripture. So if you spend one or two days a week in the Scripture, then I really, really encourage you to spend three or four days in the, in the Word. 
And, and if you spend three or four days in the Word a week, then I encourage you to spend, you know, five or six days. And if you're the type of person that spends every day in the Word, great. I encourage you to spend it in the Word twice a day. Why? You can't... <clears throat> During this next 30 days, it's going to get busy. You're going to get tired. You're going to be trying to fulfill all those requests that have been given to you all year long by family members to go out and go shopping with all those other lovely people that will be shopping at the same time and all the materialism that's going on and the prices are going to be marked up because they're harder to get now um, with the COVID going on. And so it's just going to be a delightful time this whole holiday season. And in order to get through that, unless you move into a far flunged area where you don't see any of this, it's going to be hard to escape all of this wonderful season time that we're going to find ourselves in. So you can burn a lot of energy trying to swim upstream against the current and try to overcome all the things that you're going to go through in the next 25 to 30 days. But I want to challenge you to become a little bit more of an aggressive swimmer and to do that then these are the couple of things I'd like for you to do. Read scripture more often. <clears throat> Over the next 25 to 30 days, scripture, as we look back and we remember about the king who came as a little baby to remind and to be reminded that he is coming again as our triumphant ruler, this will hold us on to a hope that will not disappoint. But the second thing I want to encourage you to do is that you will courageously identify the things that you have misplaced hope in your own life. What is it that you've put hope in other than Jesus? That person, those things. Some of those areas where you have placed it in someone or something, whether good or bad, recognizing that all that misplaced hope will disappoint to some degree. Begin to name some of those things that you've placed your hope in that you have looked to for ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment. You have looked at these things and they are less than and they, than they can even deliver. So I encourage you to name them, write them down, share them with a friend, share them with a family member, share them with your spouse. But... So also increase your regularity of scripture. I encourage you to identify those things that you have misplaced your hope in. But I want you also to remind yourself of, again, the truths that are in God's word, the promises that he has for you. And it says in this passage that we read today, and Jesus is the prince of peace. He offers peace. This is true. And Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's there to counsel you through your life. This is true. And then the, in Romans, it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is true. In Corinthians, it talks about being a new creation in Christ. Even though I feel dirty, I have been washed and I have been set free. I am a new creation. This is true. 
There is a day when Jesus will come back to redeem, to rescue us fully, finally, and forever. We can hope in that. And this is true. So see, reading scripture and putting it into our heart will prepare us to get through these next 25 to 30 days. It says in Isaiah 9-7, but of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, listen to this. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. What he's saying there, today's vernacular is, this is true. God is saying, I'm going to make it happen. You can bank on it. This is true. So, one of my favorite heroes... um, faith-based heroes is a woman called Corey Timboom. Some of you may know who she is. Um, she has this phrase that I thought was just right on. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Some of us in this room, at least I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what to expect over the next 30 days. I have ideas. I may even have some misplaced hopes. But I know this, that God, the God that we have looked at today, is there to go through it with me. So for those of you that are here today that may not be believers in the Lord Jesus, I am confident that there are probably some here today You may be here with family because you're still finishing out the whole Thanksgiving holiday. So you may be here with family. You may be here with a friend. Uh, Someone has invited you to come here. But right now, God is encouraging you to receive a gift. God wants to offer you free of charge. God right now is offering this gift that's called eternal life through his son, Jesus. So in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks right there. It says, the scripture is saying that right now, at this very moment, God himself is making an appeal to you. He's appealing to you. What is that appeal? That is what he is offering to you. He is saying, I care about you. I love you. I I want to have a relationship with you. And it's not just eternal life that he is saying. He's also saying, I want you to have an eternity with me. I want to be in a relationship with you. And not just in a relationship with him, but he wants us to be there with him as his sons and his daughters. It is not just a future forever kind of thing. It's also a right now kind of thing. The invitation to you is that you can be forgiven today. The weight of your sin the weight of those things that you have as a burden that you're carrying around, he wants to lift that off of you. He is offering to you a life, he's offering you a life that you and I could never have earned. He's offering us grace. Now, if this sounds too good to be true, it is. 
And if you don't think that you deserve it, you don't. But welcome. Here with a whole bunch of other people that don't deserve it either. And um, that thought it was too good to be true too. Um, but he is wanting, if I could sum everything up in one word of what Christ is offering us today, it is something that you are seriously missing. And that is he's offering you hope. J.I. Packard, uh, an author, he, he shares this. He says, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor. He was born in a stable. So about 30 years ago, or about 30 years later, he might hang on a, Christ, on a cross. That simply said, without Christ, there is no hope. So my challenge for us today, as we have read through this passage, as we have unpacked it, for those of you that consider yourself Christians, get in God's word, find those misplaced hopes. A little bit, we're going to have a prayer team in the back. If you need prayer on overcoming, placing that hope in a more solid and true versus those misplaced hopes, they'll be there to pray for you. If you're here today and you don't know if you're a Christian or not, and you would like to understand more of that, our prayer ministry is in the back. Just as we're singing, you can get up and you can go back there and they will pray with you. But I want to leave you with one overwhelming thought. Jesus is that better hope. And it's yours for the taking. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you right now, we realize that um, as humans, we put our hope in a lot of things. We use that word a lot. We hope it doesn't rain. We hope we hit every green light. Lord, we hope for so many things, but so many of the times we are just left with disappointment. Today, what you offer us is a relationship with you that will not disappoint. Father, you love us so much that I am at all. And I'm reminded of that passage in Psalm that then gets repeated in the book of Hebrews. What is man? What am I that you are mindful of me? And then the son of man and all my offspring that you would care and Lord, that you would visit us. Today, Father, we celebrate your visiting us here on earth. You came to this earth to really Show us that there was a way to have hope in our life every day. So I just pray for our church, for the people that are right here right now. I pray as they go out, now hope. In Jesus' name, amen.